If you have a Bible, go with me to Psalm 100, and then um, hold your, you're going to start there, and then John 13, John 13. Um, I want to talk with you for a few moments about uh, dreaming again, because uh, we always want our lives uh, to be a dream, not a nightmare, but a great dream, and we want to achieve something really good, and the Old Testament forecasts that, Jesus models it, and then the New Testament epistles really kind of flesh it out. Um, Psalm 100 is where we're going to start. And uh, would you stand with me and let's read it boldly. Read it out loud boldly, the whole psalm. And whatever version of the Bible you have in your hand is the version that I like. It's the one you're reading. Okay, if it's a version that you'll read, then it's a version that we like because it's the one that makes sense to you. If you're not sure, then read the side screens. Read aloud with me. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalm 100. May God bless you. You may be seated. It's wonderful to read the word, isn't it? Man, I read that, and just, this is a mountain of material just to be overwhelmed in. It's like drinking from a fire hydrant. Um, when I was a kid, uh, one day they let the fire hydrants open in our street, and they were flushing them out because the water gets rusty and stale under the street, although we had no idea. We all saw it as an opportunity to wash our bikes. And so we rode through it, and then we're summarily thrown across the street because <laughs> it's a fire hydrant. And then a mom would run out and say, no, kids, no. And then when she'd go back in the house, we'd get back on our bikes. And, and uh, we couldn't tell our parents we'd been wounded because we knew better, but it was so good. And that's the way I feel about the message today. Visioning a better world, I feel like we're drinking from a fire hydrant. Psalm 100, shout for joy to the Lord. You did that in the song just a little bit ago. Worship the Lord with gladness. I don't want to go to a church where it's all sadness, right? I can, I can turn on the evening news if I want that, right? Come before him with joyful songs. I belong to you, you belong to me. Man, it's great stuff. Know that the Lord is God. Interesting phrase. This is where I want to camp just for a moment. Verse 2, it says, Worship the Lord with gladness. Worship the Lord with gladness. That's the New International Version. The King James Version, which was a version that came out of England in the 1600s, it says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Whole different word. Why is that? What were, what were they thinking? It's not even like it's a derivative word or something similar, you know. It's not like it's just a different pronunciation. We say schedule, the Canadians say schedule. You know, it's just a little version different. But you kind of know what it is, right? But it's interesting what translators would do because translators would oftentimes find a word, and it might be the word hello, but sometimes they would read it hello, and other times they would say, I hope you're doing fine. That's still a greeting. And then they might greet you with just the word peace. Three different terms, right? Three different sets of words. Yet they all come 
to be that same greeting, and that's really what's happening here. What we're finding is this. When the psalmist wrote Psalm 100, he said, God is worthy of our utmost praise. We shout aloud to him, and we worship him, and that worship lives itself out because the, the Hebrew would tell us not just in our thoughts, but in our actions. Well, now it makes way, way more sense. It isn't just worship with our thoughts, our hearts, but we're worshiping in our actions. So it, it only makes sense that we would say, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Have you ever served someone with gladness? You ever done that? Anybody serve someone but you really didn't want to? Anybody serve someone and spit in their soup? You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I'll serve you, buddy. Yeah, yeah. And, and so you undo all the good deed through a bad attitude. And so the psalmist is very clear. Serve the Lord with gladness. There is a connection between service and worship, and I want to connect that with you today. Because we talk about what it means to worship the Lord and to connect with godly people and uh, to grow in our faith and to serve one another and and then to uh, share the greatest news in the world. That's kind of the five-fold mission purpose of our, of our church. But quite frankly, most people who don't know Christ or trust the Lord, God of heaven, they don't really engage with worship. They could watch it, and they, they, they might see it, but it might be a little weird to them. They may not like in connecting with people because they don't trust people because they've been hurt by people. And, and they may not be able to grow in their faith. Do you know what they can see? They can see your service. Do you get this? They can see your service. 1 Peter chapter 4 puts it this way. Each one should use whatever gift you've received to serve others faithfully. You get a spiritual gift the day you trusted Christ. You don't use that gift for your own use. That's not for your own edification. No, you, you get that gift so you can serve others faithfully administering God's grace, faithfully administering God's grace to other people in its various forms. You're going to minister to God's grace. So, so we dream about a better world. We, we dream about a, a better community, a better, uh, safer place where law enforcement are, are all your buddies. They're people helpers. Uh, where school teachers are promoters of, of educational values and, and where judges are helping people become better people. We, we dream of a world like that. And I'm telling you, the path that Jesus says is the path is the path of service. God tells us you want that dream realized, it's going to come when you roll up your sleeves and you get involved and you make it a better world because it will not do it on its own. And the world longs for dreamers of a better, of a better world. We long for that. Okay, now let me give you the big idea of the message and then we're going to break it down. Christ never measured greatness by status. Never. He was unimpressed by status. Instead, he measured greatness by service. By service. It doesn't matter if it's the widow's might or someone helping someone who's a leper or someone who's helping someone who, who, can't, who can't see or can't get themselves to help. It, 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 go back and read the stories of Jesus. He was always impressed by people who put their faith into motion. Now, your path towards significance, that meaningfulness in life, that dream of your life, that path is going to be found in two things. Your identity in Christ, if you know Christ as personal Savior, if you trust him as Lord, but then it will be lived out, actually realized or actualized in your Christ-like service. It will not happen the day you trust Christ, you become, you're, you're positionally a saint, but you aren't saintly in your actions. It's in your service that you'll begin to realize this is what it means, and Jesus will actually model it for us. Now, if you're in John 13... 
Look with me. Uh, let me pick it up in the story. Jesus is going to dinner, and um, as was the custom, when you entered a home, there would be a servant at the door who would wash the feet of the people because in that day, um, uh, there were kind of odd things alongside the road. Wanda and I were just at a farmer's market. We liked to go and get some vegetables on Saturday, and we went, and there was some, wow, something that really smelled spicy on the ground and because uh, there had been horses there. Uh, that the farmer's market we went to and then as we get back in the car I said I, I'm going to go walk in the grass for a moment just to make sure I'm not carrying the blessing of the horses into the car you know what I'm talking about okay All right. Um, so what in G- happened in, in that day all transportation was done on, on animals almost all of it and so uh, people would get their feet washed. It was, roads were dusty, not paved like what we have today. And so it was common for a servant to be at the door, would wash the feet, and people would come in. You've been to a home where, um, in our house, uh, we have a doormat. People just wipe their feet. But we've had also the custom, I'm a, a Midwesterner, it was a common custom in the, mid, in the Midwest that in the middle of winter, when you walk in, you immediately kick your boots off. So you walk through the house stocking in stocking feet and it didn't matter company came you just threw your shoes in the pile and you picked out two that you liked when you were ready to go home <laughs> it didn't matter that was kind of the custom because you because it's just the custom okay that was the custom of the day they washed the feet okay no one's washing feet they're showing up for dinner and no one's washing feet and no one will do it no one will act first have you been there where no one will act first Jesus enters the situation. Chapter 13, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. He knew that his life was coming to a close and he was headed back to heaven, okay? So he got up from, by the way, all of these nuances, I'm not, I don't have time to explain this, but, but all these nuances are saying he came from the Father, he's going back to the Father. It tells you and me that he was eternal and he existed in the preexistence. Does that make sense? So Jesus isn't invented at at Christmas. No, he was already in heaven, and he just came to earth. He just changed addresses. So he's going back to the Father, returning to the Father. So he got up from the meal, and he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after he poured water into a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet. No one else was doing this. They're sitting at the table with stinky feet. And he dries them with the towel that's wrapped around him. This is what a servant looks like. A servant, if you're taking notes, a servant gets up. A servant takes initiative. And so maybe that's your prayer. God, help me just to take initiative when I see a need. Uh, secondly, a servant takes off. He take, what is he taking off? In this case, his robe. Why? Because that's the place of dignity. He's down now to this underclothing piece. What does a servant do? A servant doesn't worry about their own status or their own dignity. Service is the issue, n- not their own coat. A servant wraps a towel. It's the posture of a servant. That's humbling. He wraps a towel. He goes into motion. He pours water. He acts. He doesn't just talk about it. You know, you should put some water on those feet. You'd feel a whole lot better. By the way, I need to be buffed up a bit. You ever thought about getting a, a pedicure? I could give you the number of the guy who does mine. No, he doesn't do that. He gets down and dirty, and when he does, he pours the water He doesn't talk about it. He just goes into motion, and he begins to wash. He actually serves, and he goes to the place few people want to go because it stinks. It's just not all that glamorous. And here's what I find. Oftentimes, service isn't. And then he dries them. 
And I, I know what some of us would do. You'd say, okay, I'll wash the feet, but they'll air dry. I got most of it done. No. No, he dries them. He dries them with the towel. And so there's a part of us that would say, no, just, I got most of it done. You'd leave it. Others would say, I'm going to dry, but I'm putting salt on the towel. I'm going to rub real hard. I'm going to make it known that I'm doing this. And it's not very loving. So when he does all that, when he finished, verse 12, skip down, would you? He puts his clothes back on and he returns to his place. He doesn't make some big announcement. Instead, he says, do you understand what I've done for you? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and I am that, rightly so. I am that. Keep reading, verse 14. And I, the Lord, the teacher, I've washed your feet, so you need to wash one another's feet. Now, right now, that, that goes against American culture so badly. Number one, I'm washing your feet. Number two, it's going on Facebook. <laughs> right? Isn't that true? I mean, we're going to get some points for this. Because it's about me, right? And if I don't promote self, no one else will. Get over that. Get over yourself. He doesn't put it out on Instagram. He doesn't announce all that. In fact, he goes even further because some of us in the room would say, oh, well, I would never announce that I did that. But you would say to the disciples, I washed your feet. And here's what you, many good Christians would say, now you wash mine. After all, it's only fair. No, he doesn't even say that. What does he say? He says, I have washed your feet. And then what does he say? Wash somebody else's. Get this, church, if you get nothing else. You have been blessed. You have been blessed in the heavenlies. You have heaven wrapped up. You trust Jesus. There's a home in heaven waiting for you. You have been blessed with eternal blessings, and then you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have an angel protecting you. Some of you, two or three maybe. <laughs> you, you have the ministry of the Holy Spirit convicting you. You have character being built in your life, and he keeps plundering the blessings upon you and teaching you and guiding you along the way. He doesn't do that just to stuff you full. He does it so you'll go bless somebody else. You are not blessed to be the end product. You're blessed to be a blessing. And you know that, right? I mean, I, I know that. You could preach this sermon. So could I. If we could just do it, that would be the issue. So, what the Psalms established foundationally, Jesus models for us personally this dream is a potential that could be a reality that we could actually serve one another in love. It's Galatians 5. And that would be what we're known for. We're, we're loving servants of Jesus Christ. So it's more than wishful thinking, that's for sure. Let me give to you five descriptors, and I, I'm going to keep moving on these, but you can read these on your own. You can't look them all up because there's, there's so much material. You were created to serve. You are, you are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, that's 8 and 9. Verse 10 says, you're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. In other words, you come to salvation by faith, and that's yours. It's a gift. You receive it like a gift. Now you're a new creation in Christ. You are serving the Lord. It's how you live out your faith. So whatever you do, you do it with all your heart, Colossians chapter 3. Working as for the Lord, uh, not for men. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing it for the Lord ultimately because it's the Lord who will reward you. It is the Lord Christ you are serving, verse 24. 
So ask God, this is my challenge, ask God to embolden you to take the initiative, to grab the towel, to pull off the coat, to get down on your knees and serve, even though it is a place no one else goes and maybe no one else will even know about. Just do it. And all of nature, all of nature gives back. Get this. Um, A tree grows in a forest and it takes nutrients from the ground, but yet it provides shade, which allows new nutrition to come. And when it drops its leaves, it acts as fertilizer. Eventually that tree will die. And when it dies, it becomes mulch and fertilizer, the best fertilizer that God could ever invent. It's in the woods. And no one had to tend to that. God has a way of replenishing or paying back the earth. Get this. Humankind, you have to make that decision. That doesn't happen naturally. You have to choose. You have to choose. You were created to serve God. Only mankind has the opportunity to choose trees and shrubs and vegetables, all of that. They just do it by nature. It's the way they were designed. And really, it's the way you were designed to. Secondly, you were saved to serve. Romans chapter 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, give your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Another version puts it, it's your spiritual act of service. Oh, wow. It's almost Psalm 100 again, isn't it? When you give yourself totally to the Lord, that's your act of worship. It has to live itself out somehow and, and the Bible calls that service. You point your worth to the Lord and your worth in the Lord and you live out that worth in kind acts in the community. Otherwise, hey, the Lord might as well just take you home. The, the moment you trust him, just let you go fly home to heaven. You were actually saved to serve. That's why you're left behind. So you're, you're created to serve, you're, you're saved to serve, but you're, that's not all. You're actually called to serve. He, he, he gives his calling. Some are apostles and some are prophets and some are evangelists. Why? To, to provide works of service for God's people. Ephesians chapter 4. You, you're actually called to do that. That's not all. You're actually gifted to do it. You may be saying, I, I don't really have what it takes. Each one should use whatever gift they've been given. First Peter chapter 4. We're re- revisiting this again. Whatever gift that is, use that gift. You say, well, I don't have those other gifts. Don't worry about those other gifts. You have a gift no one else has. Faithfully administering God's grace. There it is again. God's grace gift. By the way, the, in the ancient manuscripts, go back to original Greek in this, it's actually the word for God's grace gift is the gift of the Spirit. It's spiritual gift. And, it, and so it is going to be in various forms. Maybe it, yours is going to look like nobody else's. That's okay. That's all right. So you're gifted to serve, but that's not all. You're commanded to serve. You're commanded to serve God. Galatians chapter 5, you, my brothers, are called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Do not do it. But, and by the way, if you have time, you read the rest of Galatians. He said, you chase each other like dogs in a fight. He said, you will bite and devour each other if you're not careful. You'll both be dead. Is that what you want? Uh, mutual destruction? He goes, no. You've been given some gifts you're called to use that freedom. That freedom isn't to bite each other. What's that freedom used for? Not to indulge the sinful nature. Not to, not to just indulge whatever it is that you want to do in life. You are given that freedom. Why? So you will serve one another in love. Think about that. Just to think that you could be part of the dream. You could be part of God's dream team. Living out service. I, 
It's a wonderful thing, and he commands it. He expects it. So he asks you, Ephesians chapter 6, to serve wholeheartedly, as if you're serving the Lord, because guess what? You are. You're not serving men. You know the Lord will reward in a way that men could never do that. So that begs the question, why don't we do it? Why doesn't it happen? Why aren't, why aren't the, the communities just transformed? And I'll tell you why. It's because we take in, but we don't give back nearly like we could. I, I, just, I put down five, but there could be a few more. We do it because we're ignorant. We just we don't really serve because we, we don't know. But you're here, and, and you're at the right time in the right place, and now you see the biblical model. But there's a... I think a plague in the, com- in the community, and it's in our nation, quite frankly. It's the second one. It's consumerism. It's that we take in and we, we want it just for us. It's affected churches. It's affected governments. It's affected businesses. And it's very cutthroat. As we come in, we get what we want, we get out. The third is that we don't know where we fit. And, and it's because um, if you're not sure where your gifts are, and you're never commanded, actually, to go find your gift, just to live out your gift, but if you're not really sure, so that's why we encourage you, just try different things. Uh, and if, you, if you're good at that, then great. If you're not good at it, that's all right. Move on to something else. But then uh, there's an issue of perfectionism. And, and so you think, I can't do it perfectly, so I can't do it at all. No, do less than perfect. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with getting a B on your report card. Nothing wrong with that at all. If your, if your potential is an A, then we expect an A. It's starting to sound like mom and dad at the kitchen table now, isn't it? But didn't mean for that to happen. But there's nothing wrong with, with being good without being perfect about it. And that perfect compulsion will actually shut you down. Understand this. If the Lord, if the Lord can gift you, understand Satan knows that and is not unaware. And since he knows you're gifted, what does he do? He creates a perfectionistic stir within you which then shuts you down but keeps you from doing any good at all because you're not afraid you're not going to be able to be good enough does that make sense because and so what happens is satan uses your good skill against you by creating an indecision or perfectionism or a compulsion kind of behavior and i i can't go too far down that road you just need to know if if you hesitate because of perfection understand that may not be from the lord that may be Uh, Satan working against you from doing something good because you're afraid it wouldn't be quite good enough but actually what you would offer to the Lord would be wonderful I have in my office a file and uh, I open it four, five, six times a year and that file are pictures uh, that my children have drawn and when they were two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve or notes they've written me or whatever and I'll, I'll pull that out and are they, are they perfect? Well my head's too big my body's too, it's a stick body it's, they have me usually with a bible you know and always with white hair because I, I, I started going gray at like 26 so some of you are going that's awful and I say to you I still have hair <laughs> so Uh, my brothers are bald, so I'm, I'm thanking God for, for hair. But they'll, they'll, the color of my hair, and there'll be, there'll be different things, and they'll thank me, or they'll, they'll write something. They'll, there'll be a picture of Wanda and, and, and of us together, the family, or whatever. 
those pictures are perfect. I mean, they, they aren't, but for me, they're perfect. Does that make sense? That's the way God in heaven is when one of his children, you and me, when we do something, and we're his creative handiwork, we hand it to him. He goes, that's perfect. And he would take your artwork, and he would go back to heaven, and he would put it on his refrigerator. Okay? That's just how good it is. So don't let perfection control you. Okay. And then uh, sometimes you don't serve because of your own problems. You're just overwhelmed. And, and that, that's understood. There may be a season in your life where you're just overwhelmed. I'm telling you this. That may be a season. It's not your life, but it is a season. And, and it's okay. You will survive this. You'll get through this. Um, and then, then you'll ask yourself then, okay, um, God, what am I learning out of that season of difficulty? And what does that prepare me for the next stage in life? And I think reading from the life of Joseph is a great illustration of that because he had issues in his life. He couldn't do what he, exactly what he wanted to do. And yet the Lord had something else for him another chapter, another year, another decade later. Okay, let me conclude with just uh, three observations. It's called the service significance link. And um, there's a Godward connection, an internal connection, and a relational connection. The Godward connection is this, that we are his handiwork, and, and so we are his, I have to get that. And, and again, the psalmist would say that. We are his sheep, Psalm 23. We are his, that's enough. So know that there's a Godward connection. Whenever I do something for the Lord, I, I am connected again with God and the fact that he made me for this. I was designed to do this. But there's, it's not just Godward. There's also an internal because God works to act in, inside of us, Philippians chapter 2, and he points us to the service, First uh, Timothy chapter 1. So you know, you not only know you're pleasing God, but you know down in your soul. It's good for your soul. Have you ever served somebody and it's good for your own soul? Uh, I was with a pastor just uh, recently who was uh, up to his eyeballs in administrative work at church, and he just said, I got to get out of the office. I got to go, go meet with some people. I got to go minister and pray for some people. Why? Because that's his gift. It's his nature. And he knew he needed to get up out of the desk and go be with people. And, and by doing it, he knew down in his soul that was the satisfaction. That's what he's designed to do. And you're going to find that in your own service as well. But thirdly, there's this relational thing because when you serve one another humbly in love, it tends to break down the barriers. It tends to, it tends to, uh, um, to allow you to connect with people in a way that you never otherwise would have. Um, and and you'll, always, you'll always have that connection because of that act of service. And, and they will not feel like they owe you unless there's something askew with that. But they will have an appreciation for you. You'll have an appreciation for them. There's a relational thing happening. So how do, how do servants act? Servants make themselves available. They pay attention to needs. That's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to do the best of what you have. You can't do absolute perfection every day. It's not going to happen. You have to get used to doing this to 90% or as good as it can be. That's enough. And you have to, you have to do it with equal dedication with all your heart, even though it may not be exactly what you like. And, and you want to be faithful to it. You, you want to be reliable to it because that's required of a steward to be re reliable. So here's my closing question. How, how do I see myself in the dream, God's dream for my life? 
How do I see myself making this a better world? There's the question. The world longs for a dreamer who will make a difference. And these dreams are not to be, not dreams to be richer or more powerful, not dreams to be more po- popular or full of pride. Let those, those are nightmares, folks. Those are nightmares. Instead, ask God, what is the true dream I could worship in service? What would be the dream of making a difference in this world? And where will I serve? And, and how do I get involved? How do I grab the towel, d- d- pull off any of the hindrances, the stuff that's going to get in the way? Uh, how do I get to the towel and get on my knees and go to it and begin to serve as unto the Lord? There's the question. Would you bow with me in prayer? We don't want to miss the moment, so I'm going to ask you the question again. Where, where will you serve? What will you do? And if you're not sure, uh, this is your commitment time before the Lord. Lord, by, by week's end, I want to settle this. I want to do something for somebody. And if you're not sure, uh, I, I'd even encourage you to use the card. Uh, Sadiq will talk about that in a moment. But just use the card to let us know, and we'll plug you into some spots. But we're, we're not the end all either. There are opportunities all over the community, all over the county. God, we, we long to fulfill the dream and to dream it again, and we know the pathway is to not just consume. It is to serve. And Jesus came as the model servant. And since we're followers of the Savior, we want to be servants as well. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.